had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action, rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Transformation and Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, and as always, first Mondays of every month, actionable, practical strategies to create greater equity inclusion in your organizations, communities. And I can't be more excited to welcome Dr. Tanya Williams back. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming back for part two. If y'all had a chance to do our December one on healing marginalized identities, work and deliberation, we realized about halfway through that there was so much. She graciously yep. said to come back. So I'm just so excited. Dr. Tanya Williams from Authentic Seeds Coaching and Consulting. Today we're really going to be looking at. So if you really do understand the need for having affinity groups, we talked the first time about why organizations should and even why individuals might want to participate. Now we really want to get to the logistics a bit about how do you market? How do you frame? How do you fit it within the strategic plan? Why would people even want to come? Um, and what are some of the traps, some of the resistance from participants as well as people in the organization? Um, and wherever else we end up going. So, Tanya, thank you so much for coming. We've known each other. Ooh, we're in our 20th anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say a bit more about yourself? And because um, we've been working, doing consulting and training. You're now full time. And, and we've lately been doing creating organizational affinity spaces and privileged marginalized identities, particularly around race. So just adore you and respect you so much. Tell us a little about yourself and why you believe it's critical that organizations need to create spaces from people in marginalized identities for healing internalized subordination. Sure thing, Kathy. Um, and I am, I, I first want to say happy new year because it's like my joy to say happy new year, all of January to folks. <laughs> and so to, to really uh, jump the year off, right. Um, a little bit about me. So if folks tuned in in December, uh, I originally am from Houston, Texas, um, raised working class, identify as black African-American. Um, I think it's important to know that uh, some of my, and really all of my dissertation work, but a lot of my schooling um, had to do with understanding internalized racial subordination. And so I have been really fascinated um, and that seems like a weird word, but it, it's sort of um, my own little, uh, I, I really want to get into understanding how oppression impacts subordinated groups, uh, marginalized groups, um, and move us towards our own liberation. And so I think about it for me in, in the way of race. That was um, basically my own way of healing was to do the research and understanding 
the way that I had internalized um, racial subordination. And so I now I am trying to broaden that. It's like, so how did that impact my working class identity? How does that work impact my cisgender, um, particularly woman, female identity? Um, how does that impact my lesbian identity? And uh, either hold me back from living a, a broader and fuller and um, more complete life or um, give me more information about myself. I think when, I, I'm, I'm going back to your question of why is it important um, and how do we encourage organizations to really think about um, having affinity spaces for marginalized group members. It is, I, I go directly back to if you don't have that, it, you're not doing complete equity work. So much of the, in, in the years that I've been doing this work, and I, I'll say that I started in 1996, 97, um, in colleges and universities and really thinking, and, and now have, have moved into full-time consulting, like you said, what I know is so much of our work, particularly is around, I think the way that people understand it, Equity work is catching groups who have been privileged up, but catching them up to what's going on. What I understand and what I know is that um, everybody is impacted by oppression. And so there is catch up work and understanding work um, for privileged groups, but also catch up work and understanding work for marginalized groups and a lot of healing because oppression is traumatic. And we need to understand it as such. And so um, when thinking about, you know, you're not doing complete and thorough equity work if organizations have not written this part into their strategic plans. I remember in several different organizations asked me to come work with whites. And when I said, so what are you doing to support the development healing work of folks of color? They just had this blank look. And so this yeah. was maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago. So I think the whole way we do this work, I join you, has been maybe it's out of privileged groups deserve more. I know we're incompetent in our privileged identities. I'm not sure organizations see it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if they just unconsciously think, oh, fragility, we don't want to make microaggressions. We want the folks of marginal identity to, and so it's out of that fear and fragility as opposed to, and even deficit model. It was a new thought I just had listening mm -hmm. that if, if we just get understand a little more as opposed to what you talked about so powerfully in December, folks of marginal identities only bring in maybe 20% of their brilliance, inspiration, creativity, innovation. If you really want inclusive organizations to help serve your clients to really change the world, then we need all of us in our brilliance. So while yes, there's a business case to it, really is about having people bring their full humanity and brilliance. So I also, just when you were talking, it hit me that I do think it's, I don't think organizations see it this way at all, but um, by not providing these opportunities, organizations are falling into, you know, still the, re the reality of, and we'll talk, I think, some about how even affinity groups can sometimes fall into, because of the way that oppression is set up and power is set up in oppression, that um, groups who have privilege in society, um, they get most of the focus. They get 
uh, more of the time. Um, but I think organizations see it as the deficit, but it's also because we don't actually understand. We, th we think of oppression only as, uh, and I talk about it as material um, harm. And so uh, marginalized groups have gotten less op opportunities, have less, sometimes less resources. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, we need to make sure that the, the folks who are in privilege kind of catch up and understand that so they won't, um, I guess, impact or, or withhold resources from marginalized group members. And that's only about material. We, we fail to understand that oppression is emotional work, like healing oppression is emotional work. It is physical work. We both have read a book that talks a lot about how oppression lives in our bodies. It's all of those things. It's not just the material. And so we need to broaden our understanding of that so that we get it, that we start wondering like, okay, if one group is, <clears throat> is benefiting from oppression and one group is um, being harmed by oppression, what does the harm look like? It's not just about the one group catching up and understanding their privilege. We need to understand the harm so that people can be healed. So I am so aligned and I also have a part of me as I've been doing some research over the winter break of if we were to put that out as why organizations need to change, I can imagine that, yeah, you're smiling too. Yeah. So <laughs> if we just kind of generally think about how do we position affinity space for marginalized identities, knowing that the healing work is a significant central part but when I was in an organization as a lesbian, I probably wouldn't have gone to an LGBTQ group if we talked about healing internalized heterosexism. And so, and as a manager, I may not have supported one for people of color if they had talked. So, and I want to honor it all. So what mm -hmm. are some ways that we can help folks to think about why they want to participate and why either leadership teams want to invest energy and time and money and or an executive sponsor may want to be a part of that. I think about it as um, <laughs> the way that I, I, I kind of sell it to marginalized group members is, uh, do you really want to fight oppression? Um, do you really want to live in a world that is equitable? Because when we think about the upholding of oppression and, and uh, Beverly and Fletcher, no, yeah, I think it is Beverly Fletcher, um, has this model of oppression being a two-legged table, um, one leg being uh, internalized and one leg being institutionalized oppression. You know, I don't have control over the institutional. I can contribute, I can, you know, kind of hammer at that, that leg of institutionalized oppression but I have control over that internalized leg. And so if I really want to fight oppression, if I really want to move towards equity, this is the work that must be done. Otherwise, if I don't um, work on this, I, am, I know that this institutional leg of oppression has, you know, at least, I'll, I'll think of it in, in a light way, at least a century, we can think about all oppressions, race, gender, class, sexual orientation, um, and, you know, nationality, at least a century of energy left in it. 
if we, we work on the internalized piece, the table has a chance of at least being un, unstable. Um, and so otherwise it's gonna be upheld. Marginalized group members, um, oppression is tricky in that it, it tricks us into um, keeping it, it alive even when we think we're fighting against it. And so I tell marginalized group members, this is the work um, of, <laughs> this is the work that oppression doesn't want you to do. From a manager's place um, and leadership, again, uh, it's defining equity um, beyond uh, just uh, a material place. It's more than just changing. We really actually can't change our behaviors without this. We can know a whole bunch about oppression. I think this is what we see in society right now. There are a lot of people who have a lot of words, a lot of language, um, are starting to look at some policies and practices, and it's still hard to undo those practices without doing the internal work. And so I love the framing of it. If you truly want an inclusive, equitable organization, we all have our different um, development work to do and our yeah. privilege to marginalize. And I actually think some of the best marginalized spaces they're creating, you have a parallel space for folks in the privilege, if not the resistance. So if we keep race centered, the whites will go, what about us? So that you do it in tandem. And so that leadership teams understand all that you, we all have work to do. So how do we create space? Yes, workshops, but how do we create intentional space for the developing of knowledge about how institutional yeah. oppressions work in the development of understanding how we may still collude and participate and what new behaviors and new culture could look like. And that's probably a 16 to 20 session curriculum yeah. that I just talked about, if not more. Um, but the language of leaders, uh, so we can better uh, recruit and retain mm -hmm. a highly productive, innovative workforce, so we can better serve our increasingly diverse customers and clients, so we can uh, embrace the strategic plan and have all of us active, full participants. So some of I, that language could be useful, I'm wondering. I love the, the language of um, supporting innovation. Uh, going back to what you said and what we talked about in December around um, marginalized group members not being able to bring their whole selves to the workplace, uh, you are not getting the creativity. My guess is you're not getting the creativity of anyone because everybody is probably working, walking on eggshells and are nervous and don't know how to have these conversations. And so um, creating spaces, I love the in tandem. Uh, that, and, and once we get into to thinking about, you know, when we do the affinity groups, how do we bring them back together? I think of affinity. So one of the things that I used to do in, in my other lives before doing full-time consulting was that I worked at an ins institutions, uh, colleges and universities, um, doing diversity education work, doing uh, inclusion work. And one of the institutions I got to... Um, direct and kind of manage and maintain uh, cultural houses. And so that institution had a black cultural house, a Native American cultural house, Asian cultural house, LGBT 
cultural house. And what I helped people and tried to help people understand is that those spaces, it has to be a both end. So it is both that people can gather in affinity and get a different understanding of themselves and others in that affinity space, but they also have to engage with you know, the larger campus and do cross race or cross gender work. It was, um, or cross sexuality work. And it is important for both because um, outside of that, no one's actually getting the fullness of, uh, I think, of marginalized group members. Because we're trying to navigate, and I'll stay with race, as a Black person, I'm trying to navigate a racist world. And so I've gotten you know, my protectors up, I've gotten, you know, my, you know, spy vision on trying to understand things. You're not getting my full self here. But as I build more, think more about my identity, strengthen my identity, get moved towards liberation in my black identity, I'm going to show up different in this cross race space. And so I, I think another thing that people struggle with is that we have employee resource groups, ERGs, where um, employees will come together and don't have the curriculum that you're talking about. And it becomes this, okay, well, we're get it together, but we're, we're going to talk about the other group or we don't know what we're doing or, you know, there has to be thought and, and purpose put um, into these affinity experiences. So what a great transition. What if we first talk about when you first gather, mm-hmm. what could, you're in a marginalized space, what could be in the first two, three sessions, some intentions or activities? And then I'd like to talk in the breadth. You do have 15, 20, 30 times people could come together over a 12-month period or half-day, full-day retreats several mm-hmm. times during that point. Uh, so what could be some of the different outcomes we're looking for? And, and so do you mind just starting about when you're bringing people together to create that learning container, what are some things to think about or activities, knowing that people are all over the awareness continuum, the knowledge continuum, some could be in denial, some could be just wanting to take action. Yep. So what are some thoughts you have? I, I often, um, when I think of marginalized, gathering marginalized groups together, and most of my work has been around uh, race, I, one of the first things that I do is help us recognize that though we are named people of color, we are actually a cross-race group as well. And so in, in affinity, there's like an affinity 1.1 and then there's an affinity 1.2 that has to happen uh, in people of color groups. Um, One of the, some of the first things I do is, uh, you know, have us actually notice each other and and check in with our bodies, with our uh, emotions to what does it feel like to be in this room? Mm. Like, for some people, I, I think about my own experience. First time I was in affinity because of my internalized racism, I was terrified. I just knew that, you know, folks of color didn't think that I was black enough, um, that I was not showing up uh, as a black person should. And so because not only 
knowledge is broad, experience of identity, understanding of identity is broad, and all of that. So like first session <laughs> is really about what does it feel like to be here? Hmm. What does it mean for us to be in this space together? I would think, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of really quick sessions, obviously moving into, so what do we as a group, how do we want to be with each other? Um, what does it mean? Because in folks of color, in, in groups of marginalized, uh, the, the affinity of marginalized groups, and I'm thinking about race, I'm thinking about sexual orientation, all of those groups are cross-race and cross-sexuality groups. And so there is power that is playing out thanks to oppression, even in that room, because around race, we got light skin privilege. We've got, you know, groups who, I, who have been identified as model minorities. And so power is playing out in that room. And so we've got to talk very clearly about what is it, how do we want to be? How do we want to acknowledge these things? Then I think it's moving to how do we get on the same page of uh, the knowledge piece of, uh, you know, <laughs> sharing the definition and understanding of oppression and the ways in which I love um, Iris Marion Young's Five Faces of Oppression, mm. really being able to drop into where are the places that, you know, we have been marginalized because of oppression. Where have we um, experienced each of these faces across our group? So, that's just some of the starting you're building the knowledge before you even get to the emotional impact. Like you got to go to knowledge first because people can't just jump into emotional impact. And I love how you're starting with how do you feel being here? What you're experienced with? How do we, what are our hopes for this? How do we want this different? Because given the different national context and organizational context, having affinity group in 2020 might be different than the one you were in 2017. Yeah. As you were talking, a couple other ideas that I like people to talk about, just what's your passion for creating an inclusive organization mm -hmm. in general, but particularly around whatever the marginalized identity is? Yeah. And what's your vision for what is possible? So getting some of that liberation in early. Mm -hmm. And then how close are we? So mm -hmm. that folks get that, yes, this is going to be our individual work, but we are in an organization. So we are wanting to be empowered leaders, active change agents to partner with leaders to get the organization closer to where the strategic plan thinks it is. Mm -hmm. um, and this could be me and kind of my linear or whiteness here, but uh, negotiating engagement agreements. And that might have been yeah. what you mean by how we're going yeah. to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, I love this. There's a piece, uh, it's, it's interesting. I won't say I've surprised myself. I actually don't move into liberation very early. Hmm. Um, I think in some ways, and I say very early, this is when, when I have a full day, it might show up two, three hours in um, because you talked about it being empowered leaders. I think sometimes marginalized group members are so disillusioned with the organization that- um, You're back now. Oh, did I drop out? I'm 
One of us did. Okay. <laughs> I lost you it. I don't do it early. I might do it here. So two to, I was saying two to three hours in, um, uh, if I have a full day. And that's because marginalized group members in an organization that is maybe working towards equity, might be far away from equity, um, might be so disillusioned with the organization that they, like, the, the conversation about liberation feels like um, poppycock <laughs> comes to mind. <laughs> that I it's, love that word. It's so, like, what do you mean, the empowered leaders? We'll never be empowered leaders in this organization. Wow. So, like, it's... I want to build a foundation of, okay, we can kind of build to understanding that there is some possibility available, but not usually that early. So if folks are feeling so disheartened, disillusioned, experiencing so many microaggressions, macro systemic aggressions, hope is gone. um, I can't even vision. So this might be a place to transition to. Let's begin to just enter this, um, I'll, I'll put the question in and then we got to go to break. Okay. Why don't we use the knowledge, self-awareness, skills, action, applied metaphor uh, frame that I'm, I'm told Dr. Daryl Sue, someone two weeks ago told me that was his framing. I've seen doctors Pope Reynolds and Mueller talk about it. So I don't know the source, but those are the folks that I've been told because as you're sharing, I'm thinking that under, being able to talk about the daily microaggressions could not only be healing, but could help people just find their voice. So um, let's just spend a moment or two. What is What do you think about, again, not in the first session, but early on having folks, what's your daily life experience here? What are the microaggressions and macroaggressions that you see? And I'm thinking that would help folks that are still in denial and in very deep internalized depression realize, oh, (laughs) and others who are ready to give voice. Um. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that um, when I think about knowledge, uh, well, knowledge, understanding of oppression, um, understanding of microaggressions, some people can be so, I don't know that it would be so deep in internalized oppression that they don't notice them, um, but they don't, wouldn't name them as that. And being able to actually name them as microaggressions, really understand what a microaggression is and, and how that impacts them. Um, that they're, they don't have to live in this place of, I've got to be protected or I've got to navigate or survive. I actually can live beyond that. So that's a start. I'll say that. So that's the commercial for part two as we go to break. Ooh, I'm loving this. Could you tell us, Tanya, a bit about how can people find you and contact you if they want to work with you in executive coaching and or have you come to their organization? Sure. Um, the easiest way to find me is at www.authenticseeds, all one word, dot org. Um, you can also get me at Tanya at authenticseeds.org. That's my email address. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. um, I think those are my only two. Oh, and Twitter um, at Authentic Seeds. And so in organizations, you do foundational work. You also do affinity space work. You do executive leader development. Um, 
assessment work, uh, organizational assessment work, um, you know, trainings, workshops, like you said, affinity work, um, and really, you know, striving to to broaden my uh, reach in, in nonprofits, really. Fabulous. And as always, if you go to the website for either my website, drkathybear.com, or the Transformation and Change Radio website, you'll see my new webinar coming up free January 10th on navigating difficult situations. I have a mini course starting the 31st of January. Uh, similar topics you can bring people who are already in affinity spaces and or want to start one critical skills and then of course designing facilitating workshops my course all good for conveners so let's take a break and come back to really dig in even more the content and curriculum for affinity spaces for marginalized identities transformationtalkradio.com Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear with Transformation Change Radio. So delighted to be here again with Dr. Tanya Williams, Authentic Seeds Consulting, as we continue talking about how do you create organizational spaces, affinity spaces for people in marginalized identities, for healing, internalized oppression, internalized marginalization, and moving towards liberation. When we left, we were beginning to talk about what some of the knowledge that again, if you're developing a curriculum, what's some of the knowledge, particularly if people are in different places. And so what other um, pieces, folks in our marginal identity would be helpful to talk about, learn, whether it's through reading articles, videos, going to programs, reading books together. We just kind of brainstorm some of those. So um, when I think about foundational knowledge, uh, obviously an understanding of oppression, but an understanding of the ways oppression works itself out um, and how as a result of oppression internalized oppression is uh, part of the experience and so really digging into the institutional interpersonal um the like I, I talk about it as ideological but also like the systemic piece of how it's connected and then spending some good time in uh really helping people understand the, internalized depression because I really don't think we've started to use the language more. When I was writing back in 2006, 2007, um, people didn't really even have the language. We're starting to use internalized depression more, but I, I still think that we are naming it as the um, manifestation. And so, for example, um, if I think of myself uh, as, you know, not as smart as a white person, uh, people will name that as internalized marginalization, internalized oppression. I like to break it down and have it be different that that is a manifestation as a result of the internalized oppression, that the internalized oppression is just a way of being and seeing the world. And my acting, you know, that out or my belief about that or my attitude about not being as smart of is at a manifestation of that. And so it allows us to kind of pull it apart a little bit and start to name some things that we as marginalized group members have, um, have taken on as honor badges of honor and pride, such mm -hmm. as, you know, I'm able to, um, and, and folks struggle with this, but uh, code switching 
is a manifestation of internalized oppression. And so we can pull it apart and start to say, like, yeah, I might be able to code switch. And that is something I've learned to do that if I want to live in an equitable, when I live in an equitable society, if I want to work us towards an equitable society, I actually will choose when to code switch rather than feeling like I have to code switch in order to navigate. Um, it's not to say that like code switching is not, you know, a, a survival strategy for this world. I think it's sometimes that we don't consciously choose it. It is just what we think we have to do. So yeah. I'm sorry. So really just, I'm, I'm, I'm going deep into one thing, but that's, I think the knowledge under uncovering what internalized marginalization really is, um, has, has to be part of it. I want to add a piece and see what you mm -hmm. think. I know as a woman, as lesbian, I was in judgment. So I was like, this is how I am. I'm better than. And so I didn't call it code switching. I just, this is what professional is because I so bought into what the privilege group and oppression said. And so I wonder if conversations, storytelling around socialization and how we were taught to be yep. and how much of that we find empowering and feeding our soul and how much of it was survival, mm -hmm. maybe how we blamed our parents or other folks uh, who taught us this, but to realize actually it was the system of oppression which was saying, you be here so that people in privileged identities continue to have power. And so, and then storytelling will build trust and connection and people finding their voice. Um, the other knowledge I wondered about, and this might be too soon, again, I'm not saying in linear order, but at some point to be able to identify what are the policies and practices that have embedded with, in this case, racist, implicit bias uh, to really perpetuate white supremacy, whites advancing. And so for, uh, or we're doing LGBTQ, what are the cisgenderist, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a term, but cisgender, uh, so what are the policies and practices? What are the sexist ones, mm -hmm. classist ones? And have people really go, huh, I thought that's just how you had to do work. It's like, oh no, this is actually not how an inclusive organization could be. Um, and I could see looking at that early and then later when we get to applied in action, teaching people how to analyze hiring, onboarding, mm -hmm. supervision with a liberation lens and what it could look like in a liberated, inclusive organization. But I wonder if, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh session, people come with what are the policies, practices that actually create barriers and obstacles for us as mm -hmm. not just individual, right. it's cultural and systemic. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And I think, I think your, your timing is about right around five or six, because that first little part and, and my training also is an intergroup dialogue. And so I think I'm thinking about a sustained dialogue. First little part is making sure everybody has the same information. There is a point in the intergroup dialogue where we move to the analysis of, um, like you're saying, policies and practices given that what if this is oppression that we understand now let's look and put that use our lens of knowing to look at what we have and i do believe i think marginalized group members might still be in that place of okay yeah we we understand it and and some people will be like well i had never thought about that 
some people will be like, yes, been thinking about it for years, been thinking about it for, for decades in this organization. After that piece, like, so that we can start to see how much it is embedded in everything that we do, that to me is when marginalized group members can start to hear, like, that's, there is something else that it's possible. And that's where liberation shows up that you start, that's another knowledge piece. So like, what do we mean by liberation? When we, you know, throw that word around, what is, what is liberation? Um, and I think for marginalized, at least this is the way I've been thinking about it, for marginalized group members, sometimes it's about individual and personal liberation. Like if I start shifting my mind towards being in, uh, an empowered person or I start like living into my agency, what might be possible in the workplace? Um, might it be possible for me to engage my supervisor in a very different conversation rather than um, having my supervisor, you know, say these things that I don't like, but that I've never felt like I could challenge or, you know, ask for a different situation. The liberation, the uh, owning, owning of agency has the potential for marginalized group members to start seeing some potential uh, possibilities for something different. And that's when organizational leaders, um, organizations might actually start getting the full creativity of their marginalized group members. I'm flashing on um, panels. I know for me as a lesbian, I, what you said earlier, I couldn't see possibilities until one of my professors or teachers really showed up differently as a lesbian in an organization back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I'm like, oh, there's another way. So I'm just getting practical. Could there be just inviting other people in or people within the affinity spaces having time to talk about either their identity development? Because I wonder if that's a knowledge important piece as well as sharing of stories, yes, socialization, but then how, like a lifeline, how have I moved from unconsciously participating to whew, anger stage to, oh no, I am an active change agent here in healing myself as well as, um, I'm envisioning whether it's videos, people can come in on Zoom and or live. And this could be a place where you also invite in, if the members feel comfortable, other folks in the organization, not only your executive sponsor, because I think it's important to have people in privileged identities actually on the leadership team mm -hmm. so that this is an organizational change effort, but other folks in the privileged identity to come in, not as voyeur, but to come in and learn. So this is one of many ways that organizations doing this development, but this could be one, ooh, I love this. I really, and, and I want to highlight, underline, underscore, you know, everything we can, not as voyeur. Because one of the things that I see in uh, one of the ways, dynamics that I know that the way that power works out in oppression is that privileged group members um, get in the space of teach me. And that I would lean, I, I, I want to say in an affinity group, it is a protected space. Um, and so I would almost have that panel and that cross, you know, 
that cross uh, experience, cross race experience, cross gender experience, um, back in a like away from the affinity space. Okay. And so this is a place where we've you know decided that we're going to come back after being in affinity spaces, come back together, and potentially be engaged in. Um, some different kind of conversation. I love the idea of panels. I did a panel on this again when I was working at college or university. I did a, a liberation panel mm. where I had, um, I think, about five friends of mine who were across race. It was for my uh, class that I was teaching on uh, the psychology of racism. And I did a liberation panel at the end of the semester but it was a cross-race panel of white people, South Asian person, um, uh, black woman. It was, it was just a nice expansive panel where people talked about living from a liberated identity, liberation, liberatory consciousness um, from their identity. Uh, and so that was, it was a cross-race space and we had decided that this was how we were gonna learn together. I love it. And if we put it just back within the affinity space, again, curriculum, scaffold, this, you do racial identity development where folks yep. tell their own stories, yep. outside folk to show what's possible. And then internally people tell their own stories, but they see what a different stage could sound like. And they're like, oh wait, I know a little bit. Yeah. And similarly around liberation, as you get farther along, I love it. So we've talked a lot about socialization, identity development. Where are you? What does uh, liberation look like? Any other self-awareness, socialization? What, what other self-awareness? What does internalized oppression look like in me? What are the behaviors that I do? Yep. Roots of those, what I get from it. Any other self-awareness kind of holding the mirror up so I see where I need to heal. So it's interesting when I think about self-awareness, um, and this is this overlaps with the skills piece. Um, sometimes, and I'll speak from my own experience, uh, in my marginalized identity, I if I didn't have the skill to be present to my thoughts or be present to why I was doing anything, um, I was just, I, I couldn't gain a self-awareness. And so, I think about self-awareness and skill going together of being able to notice your thoughts. What's actually, what is having me do anything? Another example, for a very long time, and I still do it sometimes, when I walk into a restaurant, I've always got to sit seeing the door. Mm. And now I can slow myself down and ask the question, why are you, and thankfully, people always will say, do you, want to sit? do you want to choose your seat? And if I'm moving towards the seat where I could see the door, I'm now able to ask myself, Tanya, why are you doing it right now? And where might internalized depression be playing out? And so that feels like uh, I'm getting some self-awareness, but I'm also practicing the skill of being able to notice my thoughts. So mindfulness, slowing yes. down, the spinning thoughts. There might also need, for me, some self-care work. Mm -hmm. I know I would trigger myself into anger, fear, anxiety so quickly. So some tools and skills for self-navigation, not stuffing emotion, but healing emotion or being present mm -hmm. with it so that I can be present to my thoughts. And then I homework, 
between this session and yeah. next session, 10 times in this next week, yeah. just pause and notice what are the strategies you're using and then pause and write down in a journal. Why did you choose it? What's related to the survival strategies? Wherever you taught this? I know I need to do things several times to learn. Yeah, yeah. We did socialization. Then I need to apply it. Oh, if I'm doing lesbian. That's why I do that as a lesbian. I'm yeah. still, oh, I was colluding just then. That's another piece of yep. knowledge. Yep. What is knowledge. Not what is collusion? What does it look like? Um, I love that. Yeah. I, I, and to your point about needing to do something over and over, it's a scaffolding piece to me that I've got to notice that I'm not noticing my thoughts first. Like let's spend a week just noticing my thoughts. Like, what am I thinking right now? Rather than being so in my thought, I was reading some Eckhart Tolle over a break and I'm like, we aren't often very present. So now that I've gotten to notice my thoughts, what is it that I'm thinking and how is that then connected to internalized depression? I love all this self-awareness and then some skills of changing my thoughts. So if I'm thinking, oh, I have to collude, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I can choose mm-hmm. my thoughts or I'm not good enough or I shouldn't speak up now or these other folks are a piece of you know what. So changing our judgments, our shame, our blame thoughts, that's a whole nother skill set that could actually be several sessions in an affinity space. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you notice when you're triggered and then how do you react differently? If you have a hot button, how do you react during microaggressions? in ways that might further learning and interrupt. What other skills do you think can be useful? Again, we're scaffolding. This may be farther down the road, but any other skills come to mind? Um, I know that uh, to me, stopping the shame monster is a, is a important skill. Um, and it's, that's, that's also a knowledge piece of really understanding what shame is and how uh, oppression uses it to keep us where we are. Um, but really being able to stop that monster and, and that is a language from Brene Brown, um, to just, you know, notice shame and then get myself out of shame, practice shame resilience as, as, as she talks about. Um, I think another skill for marginalized group members, uh, it is, uh, practicing courage, understanding courage. Um, understanding how discomfort, um, how risk kind of uses discomfort to keep us in our place. And so, uh, again, thinking about like, I have agency, I have power, how do I use that? And how do I start to practice it in even small ways? And all of that, and we would we don't often name it as that, but all of that is skill building. It's it's things that I have to practice. I have to learn how to do because as a marginalized group member in a system of oppression, those are not muscles that I've gotten to build. So there are lots of skills. <laughs> and I'm so aware as I hear you that most organizations probably want folks, affinity group, you met once, now come do programming. Yes. They're seeing it as how can we use you, mm-hmm. partner with you to help the whole organization. And I'm so aware as you share more, I don't know if it's 10, 12, 15 sessions for folks to do our own work, knowledge, self-awareness, skill building. We're changing how then we're showing up the organization 
but to be facilitators or trainers or even be on a panel from a liberated space takes a lot of work. And so I need to breathe because the organizations <laughs> wants us to apply, change, come out and do action. Yeah. We give it a little time when folks have done enough and there's never enough. Cause as you've said before, it's ongoing. I'm still healing internalized sexism, sizeism, um, heterosexism. So when folks are in more of a grounded, empowered space, what are some ways that they can partner with leaders to create inclusive organizations? And we just highlight a few, and then I want to talk about resistance. Mm. I think, um, when you're in a grounded space, uh, when you have done some of your own work, um, I really, you know, to convene these spaces, it is thinking about thinking with leadership that this is a part of the work um, and being able to um, talk, it about, talk about it as such. Uh, I think about, you know, um, organizations that I've worked with lately uh, groups who have convened around marginalization or, or, or around an affinity around um, particularly race. Uh, I think people are still in development and trying to figure out like how, how do I ask for what we actually need? That is part of that practice. That's part of that owning the agency and really saying leadership, this is what we need. And then noticing Okay, if leadership does not follow through on that, going back to the strategic plan and saying, this is what we need for equity. And so I don't know that I'm answering your question exactly, um, but it is important to be able to go to leadership uh, who often are from privileged groups to say, we are using the agency uh, to ask for what we need. As you're talking, I'm envisioning privileged Mark <clears throat> Finney space folks who want to come together two day retreat with senior leadership team, HR, and maybe some other key folk to have an authentic real dialogue. Where are we from zero to 10 hostile to incredibly inclusive? Where are we? And really looking at the culture, climate policies, practices collectively. The leadership team probably needs some training so they show up a little more willing, engaged, competent. But that idea of getting many folks' voices from privileged, marginalized, mm -hmm. then leadership team, and then how do we move the organization further? Very exciting. Analyzing practices, policies. Whew. It's a lot. It's and a lot. It's funny because I'm thinking um, we're talking about leadership teams, some other dynamics that might show up are that there are members of marginalized groups that have position on leadership teams. And they, there might be, and I'm, I'm going to stick with race, that are, where I've seen there have been a leadership team of about eight people. There's one um, person of color that has been trying to normalize and name uh, some things uh, or might have played into or colluded with some of the system those power dynamics end up working themselves out and people start asking some hard questions of that person in affinity. And so I think it's important as people start to think about this and bringing affinity, start to notice and, and um, consider what the impacts might be. 
we're running out of time, but that's one of the resistance is intra-group judgment, anger. And so I'm thinking executive coaching for senior leaders with significant marginalized identities so that they might get the support to recognize, actually, they were creating incredible change, but to the outside, it looks like they were also maybe colluding and or maybe they're deep and internalized as well. Any final thoughts of other, let's just list other resistance because I could imagine folks from privileged identities are, what about us? And it's not that bad. You're wasting time. We should be coming back together. You're creating separation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that, that creating separation shows up in marginalized group members as well. Um, in marginalized groups, it, it's often, you know, what are you talking about regarding liberation? That's never going to happen. Um, it's sometimes so much fear created by systems of oppression that in anything that we do, this is keeping me safe and this is keeping me having a job. And so, um, you know, resistance can show up in a variety of ways and all of it sometimes is not conscious. Most of the time it's coming out unconsciously as internalized <laughs> marginalization. And it's, I think, important as a facilitator of this work to kind of hold that fear, kind of hold, um, I think about it as midwifing liberation, that I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of hold a group as they move along this process. So I'm envisioning a new, you know me, worksheet that really <laughs> identifies what are some predictable intra-group resistance traps that could come up as well as from the organization and then some strategies. Um, We, I need all so much time with you. I so appreciate you investing in just helping me learn more and listeners learn more. And I'm realizing there's a whole nother one that I don't know if in a few months you'd be able to come back. How do we support conveners Mm -hmm. and what could a a scaffolding look like? Because I know we're working together with an organization so that in a month or two, we'll have some more resources to share and talk about. But this idea of ongoing development for conveners could be fun to come back and play with as we close. Oh, any final insights, thoughts, wonderings, and then please remind people how they can contact you. Sure. My last thought really is that um, don't forsake uh, affinity work. We need this as part of the work that we do for moving towards equity. And again, I'm at Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, at AuthenticSeeds.org. I would love to hear from folks on Facebook, Instagram, always wanting to be in conversation. I'm delighted you joined us all again. Always go to my website, drkathyobear.com backslash events. My free webinar on navigating difficult situations, key skill for conveners and participants, January 10th. The mini course starts the 31st. And I think the workshop, skills in designing, facilitating equity inclusion workshops in my longer course are really the tools and skills folks need to convene. So we'll talk more in another one about all those. Tanya, as always, thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone look forward to seeing you February 6th for my next radio show. Good new year. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. 
For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.